Well, an almost Merry Christmas to everyone in Mount Pleasant and online and on our campus in Alma and our campus in St. John's. Today is our family Christmas service, and I do need to say something very important. I realize we have lots of guests here today, particularly on a day like today, but our campus in St. John's, if I could mention something to you guys, it, uh, that's our brand new campus, and today is just their third occasion getting together. Praise God for that. But I want to let them know that today I'll be preaching to a room full of adults and also full of children. And so I might actually make the sermon a little bit shorter, but I've never heard anyone complain about a shorter sermon. <laughs> What's that about? I don't even know. But uh, in St. John's, uh, the kids... Uh, here in Mount Pleasant and Alma have been practicing for today for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And with St. John's, it just being our very third week, we, do, we wouldn't have an opportunity. We knew this to have a family Christmas service there, uh, but that's no problem. That's something certainly we can do in, in the future for, ne for next year. But we want to make you guys aware of that. So welcome and glad that you're here for week number three of this series, Welcome Home, where we're looking at four core gospel statements, and they are the following. Everybody's welcome. That's the gospel. It invites every single one of us. Nobody's perfect. We looked at that last week. This day, today, we're going to be looking at everybody's loved. What a great thing to be preaching about. And then this day next week will be Christmas Day. So on Sunday, we'll be preaching about anything's possible with our God. So today, what I want to focus in on is this core central truth where the, uh, the master of Christianity says that everybody's loved. Now, the unique thing about this is that not everybody knows that. Everybody's loved. Not everybody believes that, that everybody is actually loved. And if you go out into this world today, you will not hear the message that everybody is loved. And yet that is the core message of Jesus Christ. In fact, that may be Christianity summarized into two words, everybody is loved. So I'm going to share with you a story that actually Jesus himself told. And uh, before I tell you the story, I want to show you who was around and what prompted Jesus. Like, why did he tell this story? It's in Luke chapter 15. Here are the first two verses. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. This is the third week in a row we've looked at tax collectors. So they all want to listen to what Jesus has to say. But look who else is there. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and have you ever seen somebody do this in a conversation where they cover up their mouth and they lean over to somebody and they say something under their breath? And you know when they say something, that thing that they're about to say, it probably is not a good thing. And that's exactly what's happening here. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered. And this is what they said. This man, talking about Jesus, he welcomes sinners, and he eats with sinners. That's the context. That's the why Jesus is about to step into and say, wait a second, I see something's going on here. I'd like to tell you a story about this very thing. So what we got here is we've got a bunch of people that do not believe what we're talking about today. They do not believe that God loves Everybody. In fact, they believe that God only loves a certain kind of people, people that are a whole lot like them, and that God's love should be discounted towards some people. They've no idea who they're talking to. They've no idea the lengths that Jesus Christ is about to go to in his ministry to express his love to the entire world. And they're ready to discount the very people that Jesus says, no, 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 this is who my love is for. So here's the story. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep 
and loses one of them? Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That is a story from a book in the Bible called Luke. There's another book in the Bible called Matthew, and Matthew tells the same story. Some slightly different language around it as Matthew records it. But I love how Matthew sets it up as well. Because when he's about to tell a story, he says something to this effect. He's like, what do you think of this? I'm going to tell you a story. It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a crazy story, but like, check this out. Like, I want, you, I want you to know, what do you think of this story? And then Matthew goes into the same story about a man who leaves 99 sheep to go and look for one sheep that has gotten lost. And it's like, what do you think of that? Because any practical grown-up would go, that's a crazy thing to do. Why, why would you leave the 99 and perhaps put them at risk because you won't be there to be a shepherd and to look after them just to go after one and you're going to leave 99? That, that doesn't make practical sense. Why would you do that? This lost sheep in the story that Jesus is talking about, it represents a person who thinks, oh, God doesn't love me. It represents a person who's saying, I'm actually just going to walk away from God. It represents a person who has been caught up in some kind of pattern of sin and, and rebellion and, and sort of stiff-arming God, and maybe they're even happy to be doing that. I, I'm getting away from God. I don't want to have anything to do with them. The point of the story is the disproportionate amount of effort and energy and time that the shepherd will go into finding the one sheep. That's the whole point of the story. And so we see a shepherd is going to go out into the wild. He's going to go out into the wilderness to face unknown danger. And in this story, there's nowhere that you'll see that there's any kind of a guarantee that the shepherd will even find the sheep. It's not in the story at all. Jesus is underscoring a major, major truth to those people especially who think, I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if God loves everybody. Maybe God only loves people who have their act together and everything sort of perfect looking. I want you to see God's gracious love, not just to everybody, but especially to the person who hasn't even repented. The person who's going, look, I'm doing stuff and I don't give a rip and I don't care what the, what the rules are, what God wants from me, what God thinks is best. I just don't care. In this story, we see the shepherd saying, yeah, and I still love that person. There's nothing in this story to indicate that that person has turned around and said, gosh, man, I made mistakes and, and I'm genuinely sorry in my heart of hearts. That's not even in the story. Not at all. Now, that is a kind of love. I don't know if that comes easily to me. I don't know if it comes easily to you. Somebody rejecting me. That's what the sheep is doing. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. Can you imagine? Like, pursuing somebody with your love? I know what I would do. If they were to walk away from me, I'd be like, okay, forget you. My love, my care, nope. You, no, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withdraw that quickly. In fact, if I had gone out on a limb and I had like kind of 
you know, in a vulnerable way, let the person know, I, I genuinely care about you, and I want to show kindness and love to you. And then they, they were to tell me to take a hike. I, I'd probably maybe, I tell you what would be in me, just a sense of like, well, I'm just going to lash out against you. And, and yeah, well, I didn't mean it anyway, and, and I don't care about you. I'd probably do something like that, but not with Jesus. Not even a little bit. One author puts it like this. Look at the endless trouble that men will take to recover lost property. You ever lost something? And their deep satisfaction when they find it, when they succeed. The inference is that this sinner actually belongs to God despite all appearances to the contrary. And that God himself wants this sinner back and will take the trouble to win them back. Don't miss the joy over one repentant sinner, but even more, don't miss the divine love that will go out to the wilderness to find that lost person even before they repent. Here's what God says to everyone today. I love you in the middle of your mess. I love you despite you stiff-arming me and all of your rebellion and all of your rejection of me, I still love you anyway. Luke, in the story, he wants you to see a God who just rejoices when that person is found and brought back to God. I think a time years ago when my children were toddlers and I would come home after a day of work and they would hear the car and I would walk through the door and they would go, Dad, stop, put your keys down, put the bag down. And they would have this runway and they would come running at me and they would launch themselves into the air and I would catch them and I would fling them up into the air and their mother would freak out and then I would wrap them in my arms and we would be laughing and smiling and we would be holding each other and at the next kid, throw them up. I tried to do it yesterday with my 15 year old, my back. <laughs> It's killing me. <laughs> no, I did not try to do that yesterday. And nor do they do that to me anymore. I want, like, do you know that picture? Have you ever had that maybe as a grandparent or as a parent or maybe as an aunt or an uncle or something like that? And that kid is just running into your arms. There's that kind of like, yes. There's rejoicing over this love and this relationship together. Luke doesn't want you to miss, check this out, it's not just the shepherd, but it's the whole community. Did you notice in the story, he says he got his friends together, and he got his neighbors together, and he says, come on, let's have a party. I want you to rejoice with me, because this sheep has been lost, but now the sheep is found. In all likelihood, the sheep probably belonged to the whole community. And so everyone is filled with joy. Everyone is filled with joy. The whole church, the whole family of God, when one person comes to Christ, there should be something inside every one of us that goes, oh, that's what we're all about. That's exciting. So today, here's what I want to do. I want to give you two obediences to the love of Jesus Christ. Two obediences to the fact that God loves you. Number one is this. You are loved. It doesn't get much more simple than that, does it, church? You are loved. Jesus goes to the cross. That is his display of his love for you. So when I say I want you to be obedient to the love of God, what am I asking you to do? Here's what I'm doing. I'm saying to you today, you're loved, and I'm asking you to come to terms with that. At its very simplest level, would you actually say, I will personally receive the love of Jesus Christ in my life. Come to terms with that in your life. Would you do that? 
My grandmother passed away a few years ago. She was well into her 90s. And uh, she loved Jesus. She read her Bible. She went to church. She repented of her sins. She served the Lord. And in fact, in her life, she saw God do very, very powerful things. Very powerful things. But she'd often say, and she said this to me personally more than once, she said, you know this idea when people say that they love God or God loves them. She's like, I'd love to experience that. What's it actually like to experience the love of God? I mean, I I know it in my head, but I, I want to experience the love of God. And she'd always ask me, how do I do that? How does that actually happen in my life? The only thing that I can point you to is the cross. When I was 17 years of age, I was going to a very small church in the city center of Dublin. And it wasn't a massive honor uh, in terms of, um, it's always an honor to preach from God's word, but it was so small, I think they didn't have anyone to preach. And at 17, they said, would you preach? And I was wide eyed. I'd never done anything like that before in my life. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll preach the message this coming Sunday. And I'm not joking you, I was so nervous. Uh, I had never done any public speaking ever before. And not only that, I was like, it's not, I'm not just talking about anything, it's the Bible. Like, what, what would I possibly have anything to say to do anything to do with the Bible? I, I wouldn't know what to say. And so I said, I better get ready. So I started to study. And I started to study Matthew chapter 27, which is the longest account of all of the Gospels of what happened before, during, and after the cross, Jesus dying on the cross. I was so nervous that I read that scripture, and I read it, and I read it. I started taking notes. I started studying. I started praying about it, and then I read it some more, and then I prayed some more, and I got up there, and I had my notes, and I'm not joking you. I was just, I, I, I was just shaking like a leaf, and I felt my knees were going to go out from under me. I got up there in front of everybody, and <laughs> I, I think I mumbled my way through about two minutes. I wish there was a recording of it because it's the worst sermon I ever preached. And I mumbled for about two minutes, and I was like, okay, well, we're going to read the passage from Matthew 27, and it's a lengthy passage. And I started reading it, and there was so much of God's Word in me. I had so filled myself up with the Word of God and what God had done on the cross that I got about a third of the way through the passage, and I was so personally touched by what was in the passage that I just burst into tears in front of the whole church. And I'm talking about maybe 40 or 50 people. And I, I put my head down, and I stopped, and I just went in my head quietly. I was like, oh, you have ruined it. You have wrecked this. You, this, this sermon is it's just going, it's going to be a disaster. And I picked up my head, and my tears were streaming down my face. And I looked at everybody, and I'm not joking you. It was like the power and the presence of God just filled the place. I don't think I even finished the sermon. It was the best sermon I never preached. <laughs> Why do I tell you that story? Do you know what I mean when I say this? I went to the cross. Do you know what I mean when I say that? I had just gone and spent hours and hours and hours with Jesus at the cross. And all I can tell you to answer my grandmother's question is, somewhere in all of that, I experienced the love of Jesus Christ. There's a story of a woman who claimed to be having visions from God. She would see Jesus. And the particular church that she went to had priests and uh, bishops and cardinals and that kind of thing. And uh, 
This caught the attention of someone very high up in the church. There's a woman who claims to be having visions of Jesus. And so the archbishop actually made an appointment and sat down with this woman and said, so tell me about this. She's like, yeah, I see, I see Jesus and he tells me things. He says, okay. Of course, he wants to know, is this nonsense? He says, well, the next time you have a vision, here's what you're to do. I want you to ask Jesus to tell you my sins, my last confession. The cardinal, the, arch, the, the archbishop was the archbishop. And she said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. So they left. But 10 days later, she, uh, the archbishop gets a phone call. Yes, it's me. Uh, I, I had a vision and, and I saw Jesus. He said, right, I'll be right there. But an hour later, he's at her doorstep. And he comes up to her and he says to her, so, you know, d d you had this vision. Did you do what I told you to do? She said, yes, bishop. I asked Jesus to tell me your last sins that you confessed. And the bishop leaned forward with anticipation. And his eyes narrowed. He said, well, what did Jesus say? And she took his hands and she gazed deeply into his eyes. And she said, bishop, these are Jesus' exact words. I can't remember. Somehow, there's this conviction. You ever heard the word convert? It's kind of an old-fashioned word. You often think of missionaries. We'll go to such and such a place, and we'll convert them to Christianity. I often wonder sometimes if the conversion that we need is from a place of mistrust to trust. To actually saying, I trust that Jesus loves me. Look at what he's done. Look at how far he's gone. There's a woman in the Bible, and we don't know her name. She's only called the sinful woman. That's all she's known as. How's this for trust? How's this for a risk? She walks into a room with Pharisees and teachers of the law, people who are, consider themselves to be spiritually superior to her, who look down their noses at her, and she lands at Jesus' feet, and she's weeping, washing his feet with her tears, drying his feet with her hair, and they're looking at her with this disdain. Who does she think she is? How can she be doing this? Listen to these words. It is certain that of all those present in that room when she's weeping, the one who honored Jesus was this woman who was persuaded, she was persuaded of the infinite mercy of God that all of her sins appeared as an atom in the presence of His mercy. I want you to hear the heart of your Father today. More pleasing than any of your prayers or the money that you give to the poor or any of your penance is that you would simply trust that I love you. The second obedience to God's love. The first one is to come to terms with the fact that He loves you. The second is this, that you are to love others. This community is here to represent the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? If God loves us, we love people. Amen? God loves us, we're going to love people. I want you to think right now of three people that are part of your life in any circle that you know they need the love of Jesus Christ. Would you take like 10 seconds and actually think of their faces and think of their names? And actually in this moment, would you just, the quickest prayer, God, I pray for them by name right now. I pray, God, that you would help them know about your love. Something is radically wrong 
when a local church rejects a person that has been accepted by Jesus. That's crazy, isn't it? This church, I think, wider at large, has been guilty of that for years. Forgetting that Jesus loves everybody. Forgetting, as this scripture says, that Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. Instead, sometimes we see followers of Jesus Christ expressing some kind of conditional love. Well, if you can look a little bit more like us, and if you can sound a little bit more like us, then maybe Jesus will love you. This is crazy. We spoke this truth last week. Nobody's perfect. St. John's, Alma, Online, and Mount Pleasant. We are a church that consists of sinful men and women. Amen? But church, we are a church that exists for sinful men and women. Amen? Anything less, and we're rejecting the gospel. We must constantly be aware of our own flaws and our own weaknesses. And when we are, it actually sweetens us as people. It sweetens us towards people who need the love of Jesus Christ. And then pretense and masks and snobbery, they go out the window. Let me close with this. I want you to imagine, if you would, today, you go home, maybe it's this afternoon or this evening, and you sit around your table Maybe it's you, maybe it's some friends, maybe it's your family. And imagine Jesus were to appear sitting at your kitchen table with you and your family. Knowing everything about you. Knowing every skeleton in your closet. Imagine then if Jesus verbally said, let me lay out the truth of your life. Here's the real estate of where your attitude is really is. And your obedience to me. And your discipleship. Here's your, your actual agenda with your mixed motives. Here are the dark things that are going inside of you. What I'm telling you is this. Knowing all of that about you. Here's what you would experience from Jesus. It would be nothing less than his acceptance and his love. Experiencing the love of Jesus. Means that you experience that you have been unreservedly accepted. And approved. And infinitely loved. And that you can accept yourself. Community church. Number one. God wants you convicted and convinced of his love. And he wants you to experience that with trust. Number two. As a church. And in your personal life. We want to have a disproportionate amount of time. And effort. And prayer. And energy. To those people who are still outside of the family of God. People just like you and I. Who need his love. Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's loved. And next week we'll look at anything's possible. Would you read this scripture with me out loud, everybody? Jeremiah chapter 31 says this. I have loved you with a love that lasts forever. I have kept you on loving you with a kindness that never fails. Amen. I'm going to invite the children.